0: felt like that's when my improvement really started progressing because I stopped caring about getting a perfect grade and started caring more about what I was being taught. Really digesting the knowledge that I'm gaining and really making sure that I understand the knowledge and the principles that are being taught to me. It's okay if my hand didn't necessarily catch up with my brain. As long as I have an understanding of it, my hand will catch up.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color for the future voices of the animation industry. I'm Yuki Okumura Wong, one half of your co-host.
2: And I'm Ashley Itleong, stepping in as the second half
1: of your co-host. Ashley? (laughs) Well, before we introduce our guests this week, would you mind introducing
2: yourself? Yeah, so I'm an Asian-American freelancer currently living in Texas. My main work is in photography and videography for a variety of events. And I'm one of the audio editors of this podcast. Wow. (laughs) This week's guest is Raymond Dozalanda. You may have heard of him. He's a Mexican-American storyboard artist currently at Warner Brothers Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself?
0: Yeah. Okay. This is weird being on this side of the... (laughs) of the the (laughs) cast. Uh, But yeah, I'm currently a storyboard artist on Gremlins at Warner Brothers. I originally started as a revisionist, but got promoted to board artist for season two. I've interned for uh, Tonko House and Pixar in the past. I love making coffee because I used to be a barista and just making coffee is therapeutic for me, making a nice latte. (laughs) Enjoy me some Dragon Ball, some wrestling, some Power Rangers. (laughs) And yeah, graduated from San Jose State and now I'm doing a podcast, I guess, but on this side of the (laughs) you're in the hot
2: seat (laughs) yeah really
1: well as some of our longtime listeners may have noticed this is a bit of a special episode ray is our guest today which makes me the head host my long con has finally come to fruition (laughs) ray and i thought it would be good to have a couple episodes about ourselves to give our audience more context about the hosts i was listening to the black and animated podcast and that's what they did in episode one and i was like my God, they're geniuses. <laughs> um, but what a refreshing way to kick off our season two, don't you think? Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it'll be this episode, an episode about me, Yuki, and then a super special live episode for our 50th. Woo! We'll be talking about the podcast and taking questions from the audience. So when that time comes, join us on Twitch on Sunday, January 23rd. You can go to our Twitch page through our link tree to follow us and get notified about when we go live.
2: But before we get into the interview, the way we start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know
0: why. Oh, wow, this is exciting. These better be good, Yuki. I mean, I'm expecting <laughs> not in between questions. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you
1: ready, Ray?
0: No, my body's not ready.
1: <laughs> well, it's too bad because here's the first question. Would you rather attain power through hard work in the hyperbolic time chamber from Dragon Ball Z or by instantly seeing the secret of the universe like in Full Metal Alchemist?
0: Damn. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think that it would be this hard for a Dragon Ball question, did you,
0: Ray? It's deeper than the toys. My real personality is about to come out as much as like I'm a Dragon Ball fan. Just to have something super instantaneous sounds so nice.
1: Right? Doesn't it? Yeah, without having to work for it. It's it's terrible, horrible suffering. <laughs> but in timeline. Quicker.
0: Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have it instantaneously. Am I going to lose a body part to attain the
1: truth? You have to lose something. Mm. You don't know what it is, but you'll lose something.
0: Does it have to be physical? Can I lose, like, just...
1: <laughs> what, 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 what would you rather lose, right?
0: Oh no, my sense of morality.
1: Oh, <laughs> that would be even. That would make you an actual villain.
0: <laughs> how about the ability to be embarrassed or something?
1: No, I think you
2: need that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my ability of sleep. I'll give that up. I was thinking about that one,
2: <laughs> but then you're basically like a vampire. Yeah,
0: that's also true. But
2: like, what if
1: you're in like an insomniac and it's still terrible? No, it has to be physical. I think it might not be a body part, like how Ed. Lost his body parts, but like their teacher, she lost like some of her organs, so you couldn't tell. But she was like, she was like dying. Oh
0: my god! Oh, if, if I can lose my pancreas, that would be good. <laughs> if it's if it my pancreas specifically, I think I would go with, with seeing the truth. <laughs> well, you don't get
1: to choose, Ray.
0: <laughs> okay, fine, fine. My pancreas and one of my kidneys, because I only need one of them. Wow! You don't get to choose, Ray. <laughs> okay, if I don't get to choose, and for sure that I'm going with the hyperbolic time chamber, because to everybody else. It would seem instantaneous. All right.
2: And you still have all your limbs.
0: That's very true. <laughs> I mean, there's a possibility of me going insane. Because I think that's why you can only be in the hyperbolic time chamber for a limited time, because otherwise you go insane. Yeah. That's worth it for, like, to be super strong. That'd be cool. Worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Risking insanity for strength sounds like animation. <laughs> well, that's my answer.
2: All right. Next question. Which urban superhero would you rather be saved by? Static from Static Shock or Batman from Batman Beyond?
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. So I'm a damsel in distress. (laughs) is basically what's being asked here. This is a non-power fantasy, Ray. (laughs) What a unique approach. (laughs) Damn. Hmm. If I'm saved by Static, Mm -hmm. I basically have to like... Hold him by the hips as I'm riding behind him on the static saucer. <laughs> or I'm basically either being dragged by my arms or like carried by my arms. and The rest of my body is just hanging as like Batman from Batman Beyond is like flying through the city.
2: Yeah. He
0: uh, might put you in the Batmobile. You don't know. Wait, is it Batman or Batman from Batman Beyond? Which Batman is it? Batman Beyond. Uh, I guess Um, if he saves me in the Batwing, it has more than one compartment. I could fit in there. Like an extra seat, probably. But It's so bright red in there. My eyes were hurt.
2: No, it'd be good for you. But also you're safe from whatever was capturing you before. I guess that's true.
0: (laughs) If I'm on the static, if I'm I'm in the midst of being safe and they're still on the pursuit and chasing us. At that point, if static is like running away... And I'm there behind him. I'm basically his human meat shield at that yeah. point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no, he's saving you. He's saving you.
0: <laughs> Doesn't look like it. Now it feels like I'm just his meat shield. <laughs> I'm going to go with Batman Beyond on this one. If you can save me in the Batwing, wow. I think I'll choose that. I'd rather be saved by Batman Beyond.
2: You just take a nap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, there's some cool refreshments in there, you know? What'd you do, Ashley? <laughs> do you know these two?
2: I think I'd also go with Batman. I think it sounds comfy. Wow. I I would go with Static because I
1: feel like Static, to me, I have more of a chance of like becoming friends or like he seems friendlier. Like I think Terry's like a little more disconnected. That's true.
2: I guess you would quite literally be closer to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, like like on a motorcycle or whatever. What you were saying, you know, you hug hug their hips so you stay on. Yeah, I do that. I'll <laughs> Hug static. Hell yeah. <laughs> Getting cozy.
0: That's that's a good argument because I feel like. Harry McGinnis doesn't give a lot of witty bander because he has to be serious to be the Batman. Mm-hmm. Love Static's bander.
2: I think I'd just be happy to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley's like, no, I'm locked in.
0: <laughs> I think I'll stick with Batman Beyond, though, but only because I don't want to be human meat shield. But you raise up some good points, Yuki. Thank you. I hope Static becomes my friend.
3: <laughs>
1: well, that was in between. Thanks for playing, Ray. I hope it was torture. I hope you agonized. And if you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your response. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. All right, Ray, well, tell us what your day-to-day is like as a storyboard artist for Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai.
0: For this specific show, and again, I'll vary for different pipelines and stuff, but... We usually start with the episode kickoff, which is basically, you know, we're, I guess now we're in a a Zoom meeting with the showrunner, the executive producer, the story supervisor, you know production manager producer stuff and then the technical director because we're a 3d show so technical director also sits in and then the rest of the story team for that specific episode read through the script and then every eight pages or so we take a little break we discuss what we read if there's any like problems that we see right away we usually bring it up or we ask certain things of like oh would gizmo even be able to do this in the script and they'll tell us like oh that's a good point what if we did this instead or they're like no yeah we can make that work and that's also kind of a good time for like the technical director to also kind of you know listen in and be we might not be able to pull that off or like, oh, yeah, we can totally pull that off. Like, don't worry about it. And then we end up finishing the rest of the script. But yeah, every eight pages or so, we take a break, discuss and kind of try to figure things out on a script level before we even get to the drawings. After the initial episode kickoff, there's usually a proxy meeting that happens not too long after. So after we had a couple of days to kind of like look over the script and like digest it a bit more, we jump into the proxy meeting where basically the technical directors and like the technical team, the whole 3D team, they start showing us the sets that we're going to be working in for that episode, some of the character rigs, if there's a new character rig. And basically that's our opportunity to kind of look at the set on the story side and ask questions like if I want this character to like run down the street and I want windows to shut as he's running down the street what can windows be rigged to open and close? And they'll either tell us like yes or no, or like, no, they're not currently rigged right now, but we could do that. There's also times, depending on the set and the budget, sometimes they build out like a street. It's like, okay, this is the street you can use at this intersection where it shows that there's two other streets. You can only go to the left one, the right one. We're actually not going to build out. So don't shoot there or don't stage anything there. If you want to put your camera on the opposite side where it looks like they're coming out of the corner, that's fine. But, but don't have the camera looking directly into that street because there's nothing that's going to be built there. Mm. We kind of figure out our limitations because it's 3D. There's only so much we can do and there's only so much the budget can permit. But that's also kind of like the fun part because then you got to f- try to find creative solutions. So yeah, that's usually the proxy meeting, after the proxy meeting then we actually get to the official storyboard kickoff. Mm. And that's when we, again we meet with showrunners, the story supervisor, the producers, and we're still in this very blue sky phase. After the proxy review and stuff, we have a chance to do these beat boards where we basically beat out the whole script and kind of pitch it mm-hmm. to the higher-ups and it's a chance for them to kind of look at it to see visually what we're thinking and if it's kind of like the right direction that they want and that's a great opportunity before we even start actually thumbnailing or spending time drawing Mm -hmm. a way to feel like oh this is how we were visually thinking this could be or this is how we're thinking it's gonna play out and they could tell us like oh yeah that's exactly what we're thinking or no we're actually kind of thinking in this direction like oh what if it was actually staged this way or what if this Mm -hmm. character was leading the action instead it's like oh yeah we can totally do that and it helps because i think prior this step didn't exist and so oftentimes we would get a lot more notes in our thumbnail pass because Mm. we didn't exactly know what the producers wanted right away and that's because they also didn't have anything visual to see if that's what they wanted right because so their first visuals was the thumbnail phase and then they would get a lot of notes yeah Totally. That's a lot of meetings. (laughs) It it is. It is. It's a lot of meetings. And then finally we get into the thumbnail reviews after the storyboard kickoff and they give us notes uh, and give us a better sense of direction of what they want. For this specific show, my thumbnail review process is basically I open up Blender. I grab the 3D models. I grab the 3D sets. As I read the script, I start staging out my initial blocking and I'm trying to like, you know, discover cool, you know, camera angles, some cool compositions, trying to see how I can tell the story and how I can utilize the set to my advantage. And mm-hmm. at this thumbnail review stage, it's more important to get the sense of like feeling and composition, I'm not really mm-hmm. too worried about the acting at this point. So I just set some really rough blocking, take some quick screen caps, put that into uh, storyboard pro. Mm-hmm. And if I need to, to sell, like if I really want to show the characters the angry, then I'll do a quick doodle of a character being angry. But mm-hmm. my main job at this point, or my main worry is just getting through my entire sequence at this thumbnail phase. And then from there, we actually go into our thumbnail review where we show our thumbnail phase and, because it's 3D and stuff, it's fine because the producer just mainly want to see what's kind of going on visually again. And it's still easy enough for them to give notes where I can change things because I didn't spend a lot of time drawing. I just spent time blocking out the models mm-hmm. after the thumbnail review and we get our notes. That's when we finally start working on our first pass. And it's basically just looking at notes, doing the drawings. And that's the last time where we actually enter any kind of meeting with the higher ups every other time after we hit the deadline of our first pass we send it into editorial Mm. wait a couple days get it back with notes from the producers and stuff look at the notes address the notes go into the second pass send it off again wait for it to come back and then we do the last and final pass before it gets sent off through revisions so Mm. first half is a lot of meetings and second half is just looking at notes addressing and sending it off and waiting for it to come back before it finally leaves our hands and then we start the whole Mm. process over again dang (laughs) yeah what's your turnaround for episode so from what I keep hearing on the story side, the turnaround for Gremlins is really, really nice. Our turnaround schedule is about 16 weeks.
1: Wow, 16. Wow. Mm-hmm. That makes sense with all those meetings. No, it does. Like,
0: Because, <laughs> yeah, there's HBO Mac, mm-hmm. there's Warner Brothers, and then there's Amblin. So there's a lot of people like looking in on our episodes and they really have a lot of high hopes for this, this series. So they really want it to turn out well. That's super nice. And the way it's also being shot is very cinematic. Mm-hmm. They really want to give time us and the, the scripts are it's a 22 minute series but
3: mm-hmm.
0: the scripts range anywhere from like 24 to 26 pages and we always try to cut it down to you know yeah. be manageable right. but yeah it's, it's a really nice production schedule it's the only schedule i know yeah. so I I, it feels nice but yeah. like i i never felt an eight week production schedule so i can't compare
1: yeah for comparison i mean on craig of the creek those were 11 minute episodes and it wasn't 3d it was 2d but the turnaround was five weeks or well it was four weeks with a skip week for the board artists. So they would turn around an episode in four weeks and then they would have a week off, which when I was there, they were like, wow, this is so nice. Like that was luxurious for them. And for other schedules, like on other productions, they didn't have that skip week. So they would just be turning around episodes like every four weeks or every six weeks or whatever uh, it took nonstop for 11 minutes. So, yeah, that's really nice. Right.
0: (laughs) it's 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 a good schedule i i have i have no complaints (laughs) but i'm also nervous for when like i eventually do go on to a new production and it's like Mm. those eight weeks or like those four or five week production Mm -hmm. schedules and i'm like holy shit it's all going so fast
2: you have to get back
0: (laughs) into the grind.
2: (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think you'll get used to it. So, um, like you were saying, Secrets of the Mogwai is a 3D show. You have a lot of meetings with like the technical directors and things like that, but you even storyboard in a way that reflects that. Can you first explain what it is and then talk about your experience working in like an integrated Blender pipeline? Because you you do storyboards where like you're drawing directly moving the camera around in a 3D space sometimes, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, especially like very early on. It's a bit different now, but Early on, they were really experimenting how to kind of incorporate Blender into the pipeline. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the earlier episodes did utilize the grease pencil tool. So Von Ross, he's no longer on Gremlock, but he was one of the episodic directors and he moved over to be the supervising director for Wings of Fire. But he was one of the ones that came in and really wanted to see the potential of Blender and using it for storyboarding. And in the beginning, we played a lot with using the grease pencil tool that Blender has and kind of drawing in 3D space and kind of making the boards play out in that way. So having the panels or the OBJs of the grease pencils and having that move through a scene and having that play out and having it feel more how it would be if it was, you know, sent overseas for it to be animated and and layout, because it gives you kind of a more accurate representation of what's going to be on screen. Mm -hmm. But for the pipeline, and even though we had like a nice schedule of 16 weeks at the time, that kind of setup in Blender just took so much time to set up because Blender, it's all about having any proper organization, setting up your set, mm-hmm. setting up your cameras, setting up shot manager, which is like this extension that helps organize your shots and cameras and specific frame counts where it took too long for it to be used very viably, at least on this production. So we ended up uh, switching over to just kind of using Blender to set up cameras and set up blocking, but using screen caps from Blender and importing it to server Pro and just drawing on top, which is still good because you still have the size reference of the character and the camera. And then you have mm-hmm. your background, so you don't have to draw your background. And you just end up just drawing on top of the 3D images in Server Pro. But... We did play for a while, and I actually got to board a couple of scenes purely using grease pencil and just boarding within Blender. And again, the benefits of it was that you got to get a better sense of timing, moving your character throughout the set instead of having it be um, drawing. Because sometimes, and this is still a mistake that we get, and something that happens a lot in revisions. When I was doing revisions on this show, mm-hmm. the animation director would constantly tell us, "Is like, hey, the way you're drawing this character walking in this scene." They're walking Mm -hmm. way too fast for them to go from that one building to the next. So like either slow it down or like, you know, change the Mm back or something. But basically like a lot of the notes would be like this character cannot run that fast (laughs) or this character cannot walk that fast. So like keep that in mind. But Mm -hmm. if you're animating in Blender, then you know how and you have a camera tracking the character, then you get a better sense of like, okay, this this is more realistic of how this character would travel in this scene
2: yeah it's really cool yeah totally it almost makes it more real life having that 3d space to like move in
0: yeah 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 that's the beauty of it that's the thing i think i kind of enjoyed working in it and still i still mess around with it in my off time Mm -hmm. i think it gives to you more of a sense in my opinion of actually being a director you're in the set Mm -hmm. it feels like you're actually holding and moving the camera Mm -hmm. and setting it up to like what you want and like you're directing your actors or the models to be in the positions that you want them to be in so it feels very I feel like more like a director when I'm working in Blender versus when I'm drawing in Super Pro. But again, boarders are still also like directors because we're still, you know, still choosing our shots, choosing our compositions. It just, it feels more one-to-one when you're actually in the set.
2: Yeah, I was going to say it reminded me Mm -hmm. of like real life filmmaking from what you were describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So you were first a
1: revisionist on Gremlins, right? Before you moved up to full-time boarding position? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you uh, land your first
0: job as a revisionist? So the way I landed this job is actually pretty cool i was in my first week working as a barista at starbucks to make some ends meet yeah uh-huh. but literally as the first week as i started working in starbucks i got a message from a alum uh, taylor hesh he's currently working at ilm but yeah he reached out to me i first met him through our professor dv and he reviewed my work in the past we just kind of kept in touch ever since mm. and yeah he just reached out to me saying like hey i know of a show at waterblowers that's looking for somebody that knows 3d like do you know 3 D?" i i'm like no but i can learn <laughs> like i haven't touched 3d since like school and it's like mm-hmm. oh, okay yeah no worries like i know you're a fast learner just send me some of your 3d stuff it's basically like the way they're doing it is they're like boarding in 3d i'm like oh boarding in 3d that's weird but sure yeah i got a lot of my shitty work that i did in school (laughs) that i still had because i didn't have my anymore so i couldn't do anything new and i sent it over to him and he just told me like oh yeah they're gonna be working in blender i was like okay cool i know blender is free so let me start learning blender in case i get anything back and to my surprise i got a message from taylor before i started at starbucks and i got an email within my first week at starbucks from from Warner brothers and they asked if i was interested in taking a test and i was like yeah sure and then they told me like, okay, would you be able to actually meet us at the ranch for the test? The
1: ranch is their campus, right? Warner Brothers
0: campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So Warner Brothers campus. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. I'm currently in Fontana, so I can drive there. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm doing a test. But like, why is it at the campus? Like, this is weird. Yeah. Because I've gotten tests before and it's usually just like, oh, here's your test. You have a week, do it. And like, they just give me the materials that I need. Mm -hmm. But this one, they wanted me to go to the campus. Wow. And I was like, okay, like, do they want me to take the test in person?
2: Like a timed thing?
0: Yeah, that's what's going to be happening. That's so weird. And so like up until that day, I was like, you know, in Blender, learning all the shortcuts, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: using the 3D models and stuff. I was like, crap, there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Finally get there. And actually like, you know, funny story. I I roll up for those that never been to the ranch, the workstations at that campus is like in little trailers.
3: Mm.
0: On each side, there's an entryway. And I walk up the wrong side. And as I'm walking up, um, it's the right building, but it's the wrong side of where I was supposed to originally enter. So I'm walking up and I get distracted by one of the windows that has like these Dragon Ball Z figures in their window. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And like as I'm looking at it, I'm like knocking on the door as I'm looking at the figures. And then I turn to the door and I was like, do not enter this way. Do not knock. And I was like... <laughs> Oh, oh, no, shit. And like, what do I do? Do I run away? And like, <laughs> do do a ding dong this situation or do I stand here and face the music? Oh, no. <laughs> and then they open the door like, oh, like, oh, you're not supposed to enter to this way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I didn't notice a sign originally. My bad. I'll go around. And I'm just like, oh, crap! what a good start <laughs> to this interview. <laughs> And I feel bad because I was interrupting somebody else's interview session. And I was like, oh, man, oh. that's terrible. Oh, no. So I go inside the right way. They sit me on the couch and I'm just waiting there. And I'm seeing all this gremlin art on the walls. I'm just like, holy damn. Now, the person that was in there prior comes out. They say their goodbyes and leave. And they call me in. And I'm there sitting across the room with the super director and two of the episodic directors. And I'm, mm. you know. It was kind of nerve-wracking because the supervising director, like, he's super nice. He's super caring, super nurturing. But when I first met him, he was, like, leaning back in his chair with his arm crossed as a stern look. So I was like, oh, this guy does not look like a nice guy.
3: Oh, no. (laughs) Like, scary. Yeah, yeah.
0: He gives a very intimidating first impression, in my opinion. Mm. So I'm in there. I'm about to take the test. They're, like, you know, walking me through. They're asking questions about myself, my past experiences, Yeah, then they showed me a test of the show, started talking to me about what the show is and what I would be doing if I was brought on. And I saw this cool animation test and I'm really excited. I can't really talk more about that, but I'm really excited about the look of the show and can't wait for it to come out. So yeah, I'm there. They're explaining to me the test and what the test is. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, oh, so like, does two weeks sound cool? I was like, oh, I'm not doing the test in person right now. And then they're like, what? No, why? I was like, oh, because like, I never, I was explaining to them how like, I never got asked to be on campus for a test. They usually just send it to me via email. I was like, oh, no, we thought it'd be good for us to get to know you and like, you know, hand it off in person just for you to get a better Mm -hmm. feel of our show. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Two weeks. That sounds great. I I can do that. You're
2: like, (laughs) yeah,
0: (laughs) I can totally do that. And then they were showing me examples. I was like, these are drawings. That's not three. I thought I was going to be doing this in Blender. I thought I was going to be posing at Models and Blenders like no, what gave you that impression? I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. a Taylor is like, oh, Bond's the only one that's doing that. You don't have to worry about that. Bond's the only one that's messing <laughs> around with Blender. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No worries. No worries. Oh, yeah. Oh, Taylor, you're a Taylor's recommendation. OK, that's cool, cool, cool. And got the test, did well enough where they wanted to hire me. Also, fun fact, apparently while they were like, you know, reviewing over my stuff and like discussing whether or not they wanted to bring me on, one of the persons they actually reached out to was uh, Daisusumi. Mm. He's one of the founders from Taco House, and He knows some of them. So my first day when I actually rolled onto the project and walked in, Vaughn was one of the first ones in the office. He said hello, but he also mentioned to me, he's like, oh, hey, yeah. Dice uh, gave you high praise. We reached out to him and he was like saying that you're a good worker and that you're good to have. So like, yeah, we're happy to have you on. And then I quickly messaged Dice afterwards saying thank you for like recommending me or like dodging for me. But that was really Mm -hmm. cool. Mm. Nervous to think that they did cross check like my past references. Oh, yeah. But I'm glad they had nice (laughs) things to
1: say. Yeah, you never know who knows somebody else. Like the industry is just so small. It is.
0: It's extremely small.
1: Sure. They saw Tonko House and they were like, oh, I know Dice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but before all your time at Warner Brothers, you were a story intern at Pixar. How did you land the Pixar story internship? And can you talk about what it's like? That's kind of crazy, right?
0: No, oh, yeah, it was it was such a fun time. I enjoyed my my time at Pixar. It was just so mesmerizing being on that campus. But I think the way I got it for that specific year, the story intern, like, you know, coordinators or like the mentors was Derek Totson and Brian Callen O'Connell, otherwise known as BKO, so yeah, they were, they were the story coordinators for that year. And I actually got to meet Derek a year prior uh, when I was president of the Shark and Handman Club of San Jose State. We put together this animation collaborative event at our school where Derek Thompson was one of our guest presenters. Mm-hmm. He's a big you know, creature feature buff. Like he, he loves like, you know, Godzilla, King Kong, The Thing. He's like very into like that. Mm-hmm. Monster movies. Yeah, monster yeah. movie stuff. So he was giving a talk about that. Uh, explaining his interests and stuff. And because I was president of the club at the time, I got to meet him, kind of show him around and like, you know, explain like, oh, here's the setup. Like, let me plug in this computer for you. And basically I was like, I guess the liaison between our club and Animation Collaborative as I was helping set up that event. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the year following, he came with uh, Young Han, an alumni from our school as well, from San Jose State. Derek and Han they came to do portfolio reviews at our school. And at San Jose State, that's kind of a common thing. Studios come in, usually they give a talk. And before the presentation happens, they usually meet with a few students to look over their portfolio and give advice. And I was lucky enough to get one of the portfolio review spots for Pixar. Actually, I think everybody got it because we had such a small story class mm. so everybody got a chance to get their portfolio review and Derek Thompson just happened to be one of the people reviewing the portfolio and he recognized me and remembered me and mm. one of the questions that they asked me they asked everybody was like oh, if you were trapped on a desert island what three movies would you bring with you and I guess they were really interested in my answers because I like film but I want to consider myself a film buff mm. I want to be a film buff I want to get more involved and know more and see more films I just don't always have the time yeah right did you say one of them was Grease I did say one of them was Grease <laughs> I said Grease, Starship Troopers, and Emperor's New Groove. Oh, interesting. And I guess they were just so taken aback by it that they were like... What a variety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so what is it about Grease that you like? I was like, oh, it's just fun. You know, the music's <laughs> nice. I love the I love the era. John Troll to sexy as hell. <laughs> like, what's not, what's not to like about it? They were like, oh, what about Starship Troopers? Like, oh, it's guys with guns shooting bugs, you know, the military satire. Mm -hmm. I guess either my my answers really interested them or like my answer was super simplistic. I don't know. But I guess that alone made me stand out because of my weird Mm. choices and what I like. (laughs) And yeah, they were also really drawn to my portfolio at the time that I had. And Mm. I was really receptive to their feedback. And as like they were giving me suggestions, I was bouncing off ideas with them as well. And I think from there, that's when... Because not only were they giving me portfolio reviews, but they were also recommending everybody from that portfolio review to apply to the story internship. And I followed up, sent my portfolio to John. Basically, he's one of the people that's kind of in charge, like getting the interns hired or bringing in the interns and like, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to the school and stuff. I think university relations might be the term, but he was on Mm -hmm. that side on on Pixar. And so I sent my portfolio to him and we actually still keep in touch because he was also a Power Ranger fan. I found out that later when I was actually on the campus. (laughs) So they remembered me. We had fun during the actual interview process and that was kind of it. I didn't hear anything back for a while. I was actually in New York for like the BFA field trip at San Jose state. I was actually in New York when I actually got the email from like Allison Parker asking if I was available to do an interview. And the the time they asked me to do the interview was during my time in New York. I was like, Hey, probably want to do this interview unfortunately, I'm out of town. I won't be back in town until this day. Is it cool if we do it then? And they're like, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And got on the phone again with Derek, met BKO for the first time. And they were just, you know, asking more questions about me. And I was just kind of just brutally honest. Like anything they asked me, I was just kind of being honest with what I was saying. I was Mm -hmm. trying to also be smart and like making sure everything that I was saying, honestly, also made me look good. Yeah. yeah. I don't don't think I was trying to like oversell myself Mm -hmm. in a sense. I was just trying to be really casual as I was talking to them. I think they kind of saw that. And I think they liked me well enough to kind of give me a chance and give me the internship. But I think it was just more, I kind of want to say it was more my personality that kind of got me the internship and not really my work. But I think my work helped Mm -hmm. somewhat because a lot of this industry is like, you want to work with people that you enjoy working with. And I think Mm -hmm. they enjoyed my company enough and then my banter enough where they're like, yeah, let's bring him on. Mm-hmm. He's, he'll be some good laughs. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that like also speaks a lot about your work just in general, because like we've mentioned it before, but like when we were going to school, you didn't really have a lot of drawing experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming into school, you were more like an academic person.
0: Oh, totally.
1: Yeah. Like coming into San Jose State, you were like, oh, I want to pursue this. But like you didn't have any art or mileage. And I know a lot of people going into this industry are like, I I drew all my life like a billion things of course I'm going to do you know art mm-hmm. so like for you you know trying to work up basically from ground zero like your art skills I think you came a long way but I would agree that it's like there are some people who I'm like wow those boards are really beautiful and I don't think you were at that level yet mm-hmm. realistically yeah. no, totally. But I do think like a lot of like the way that you thought about story or and also like your personality like they were like we can teach this guy you know we can work him up
0: yeah, that's, I think that's like, that's exactly it. It's that I think I showed a lot of potential and that's something that they wanted to foster at Pixar when they brought me on. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I didn't go into school with a lot of mileage. I studied more theater. When I was in, in high school, I did the theater route. I didn't take any of the art classes during high school. And, and the only thing I drew was just bad fan art. <laughs> I, I drew, I just drew a lot of my own characters, a lot of like, a lot of OCs, a lot of fan art but Mm -hmm. i didn't understand what it meant to keep a sketchbook i didn't understand what it meant to like you know draw from life or like you know figure draw i just copied a lot Mm -hmm. what i saw like i i guess i unintentionally did master studies but like you know reduplicating some of my favorite drawings from like Akira Toriyama, but like Mm -hmm. it was just me trying to get a sense of how to draw the character or try to do fan art, but like didn't know a lot of the art sensibilities until I got to San Jose State. And then when I even Mm -hmm. was there, I did come with more of an academic mindset because I was a 4.0 student. I was doing AP and IB when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of our professors, John Clapp Mm -hmm. at San Jose State, he mentioned one time in class that like, don't worry so much about the grade in this class. The grade doesn't matter. Just focus about the knowledge. And I know for some of you, that might be very difficult because they saw like the GPAs that a lot of students came in with. Like we know a lot of you guys Mm -hmm. care about grades. I know some of you are probably going to ask me after class, like, how do I get an A in this class? It's not about getting an A. It's about understanding the principles and the knowledge. And that was a mindset that I had to really get over Mm -hmm. and forget Mm -hmm. about. And I wouldn't say it it took me until my second year to finally just be like, yeah, I don't care about the grade anymore. I don't care if I get an A in this class. I'm just all about really digesting the knowledge that I'm gaining and really making sure that I understand the knowledge and the principles that are being taught to me it's okay if my hand didn't necessarily catch up with my brain Mm. as long as i have an understanding of it my hand will catch up Mm. and i think from then i felt like that's when my improvement really started progressing because i stopped caring about getting a perfect grade and started caring more about what i was being taught Mm. all right well speaking of school
1: let's talk about fucking sol (laughs) naciente So Sol Naciente, the animated graphic novel, was your capstone project coming out of San Jose State University. Ray and I could talk all day about Uh, it, but let's start off with why you decided to do an animated comic instead of like a traditional short film.
0: Well, originally I did want to do a short film, but Mm -hmm. at San Jose State, when you're in your final year for your capstone, your thesis, you have pretty much had BFA year to create and produce a project. It could be. A comic, it could be short film, it can be a video game, it can be a children's book, it can be whatever. Mm-hmm. But most people tend to go short film. But the thing that I've noticed, and this is just my opinion, is that oftentimes you can't tell the story that you really want to tell with that one year that you have. Because you might have this really ambitious story It's this really cool story, but the professors, not that they want to kill your creativity, but because they know realistically how long it takes to produce a project, they usually try to convince you to simplify your story or to take a lot of things out. So you can tell it in a more digestible way. So like you want to tell this seven, eight minute, like, you know, short film, but you only reality Mm -hmm. have three or four minutes to tell it. They're trying to get you down to that time. And I knew the story that I wanted to tell. If I pitched it as a short film, they were either not going to approve it because it was too large in scope or they would try to convince me to really simplify and take out the aspects that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. And so I figured like, oh, what if I do it? as a comic book because that would be cool i always had interest in comics it'd be a nice opportunity for me to kind of dive into that space and mm-hmm. funny thing i was telling all this to like Ulises sabrado Yamas, former classmate of ours former roommate of mine uh, we shared a bunk bed so he was at the top bunk, i was <laughs> in the bottom book and we we're just having like a random night conversation and i was just kind of pretty much just me to him i was like dude uh, i want to do a short film but this program is not going to give me the time to actually tell mm-hmm. what i want to tell and i want to do the comic i feel like i'll be able to tell my story but like part of me still wants to animate. Like, what should I do? Like, should I
3: mm-hmm.
0: should I just go for it and do the short film or try to pitch a different short film idea? Or should I just go with the comic? Mm-hmm. And he was like, why don't you just do an animated comic? Just animate some of the panels. And I was like, that's genius. And then all this, <laughs> all this stuff started coming into my head of how I could do it and approach it. I was like, oh my God, that's going to be so cool. I was like, ah. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, with it being like Lucha stuff, like I'm pretty sure there's some fun things that we can do with it. And that's basically how I ended up making it be animated instead because it was still a way for me to one tell the story that I really wanted to tell without compromising the length of it Mm -hmm. and it ended up being like a 50 page comic (laughs) well the the, the (laughs) digital version ended up being 50 pages the physical version I think is like 54 56 but like yeah with the help of Yuki being like the assistant animation director and then the lead page layout artist we're able to tell a 50 page comic book and with having several of the panels be animated and Mm -hmm. that was a way for me to like kind of have the best of both worlds but the most important thing for me was yeah, I did not want to compromise the story at all. Like I knew what I wanted to tell the story and yeah, I just didn't want to give it up or mm. compromise on some of it because I felt like if I had the opportunity to tell it, I can tell something really great.
2: Mm. I went through and read the comic a couple days ago. So I was familiar with it and it was really good. Like I really enjoyed uh, it. You're too and sweet. it also, <laughs> since you added a soundscape type of thing too, which I think mm-hmm. also really added to the, sort of film element of it being a comic because it gave like emotion while I was reading it. I was like, oh my gosh, like getting like into it because of the sounds too. <laughs> I thought it was really well done.
0: Yeah. Daniel Rodier, he created an original score for the comic and he did such a phenomenal job. Like he went way above and beyond of what I was asking. And it was so cool getting Mm -hmm. to work with him. Mm
1: -hmm. And our coder, Genzel was able to make it dynamic. So that like when you got to certain parts of the story, like certain music cues played, or like when you clicked certain panels, like he was able to cue up certain sounds, which was like, I didn't even think that that was a thing, but he was like, yeah, no problem. Type, type, type. Like,
0: (laughs) I I wish I was a fly on the wall when that conversation was happening. But I remember I connected Daniel and Genzel, because Daniel was asking me all these questions like, oh, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? I'm like, I don't know if we can. I would have to ask Zell, the coder. And like, because he wanted like, oh, would it be possible to overlay music over certain pages? but Also, as music's being overlaid, having sound bits happen on top of it. Yeah. And Zell was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I can do that. But yeah, Daniel had all these crazy ideas. And I was just like, talk to Denzel. I have, I don't have the answers. (laughs) I don't know what's possible or not.
2: But it was really well done. Like the whole thing. And the the panels that you chose to animate, I thought were really good because since it's like about wrestling, there's so much movement in wrestling, Mm -hmm. so it was a good fusion of all of it. I really liked it. Mm
0: -hmm. It was an amazing project that I'm glad we were able to do and create. And that project has led to several connections with people, different people in the industry. Like that project, Mm -hmm. honestly, helped me get connected with Jorge Gutierrez, like one of my artistic idols. Like he backed and funded the project, and after it was like released and stuff, he was like, "Hey." you want to come visit Netflix? you want to like, you know, have lunch with me? I'm like, so yes, like wow. why do you even have to ask? <laughs> <laughs> but I led to a lot of things. I can't really talk about this other thing, but basically it also led to this current freelance gig that I'm doing that I can't really talk about mm-hmm. fully, but let's just say it's also Lucha related. That's all I can say at this point, but mm-hmm. it has led to some cool opportunities and I'm glad that people like it. People still talk about it. People still like bring it up every now and then. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that we're able to create something fun and unique. And I love the shape language. I love the color palette. I love the characters. The characters are super Mm -hmm. fun. If you guys want to read it, go to soulnacienticcomic.com. There'll be a link below in the podcast, but definitely recommend. It's fun.
2: Since it's a comic, did that have any correlation with you getting storyboarding work? Since comics are like individual panels, did that have any like correlation between the two?
0: It can. The only specifically did help me get some freelance story work, but it's also just, I think it just mainly got in contact with me with other like Latinx creators in the same space. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in contact with quite a few like Latinx comic creators now because of it, because they were a fan or like they like the concept and stuff. It just led to a lot of fun connections. Um, like right now, actually if you guys live in LA County and live near Eagle Rock or are willing to drive to Eagle Rock, there's a store called the Mighty Luchador that's currently selling a physical copy of the Sonia Santa comic.
2: That's so cool
0: and a couple of other, like, Sol Nassinta merchandise. Mm -hmm. Wow. No, it's really cool. Like, he's somebody that has his own comic called The Mighty Luchador. Uh, His name is Carlo. He's super, super cool. He's been such a big fan of the comic, and we've been in contact ever since, and we've become really good friends. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's somebody that has his own characters, has his own IP, and he's really built a business around it. But, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, happy that he's a fan, happy that we're in contact, and, like, happy that he wanted to sell the book at his store. Like, he personally asked me, like, hey, can I sell this here? I'm like, yeah, I think I still have a couple copies left if you want to sell. that's awesome.
1: You directed that project, you know, put together a really cool team of artists, I thought. That was impressive to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, the team was top-notch. I loved everybody that worked on the project. Oh,
1: yeah, like, Josh Wessling, Hannah Beetle, like, all of our core team for Sol Naciente was really cool. I'm always, like, interested in how you did that, in terms of, like, you know, when students are doing a project, they're probably putting it together, putting the schedule together, trying to get people that will make their project happen. You know, how did you sort of like gather the necessary people to make Sol Naciente happen? That's a good
0: question. I feel like (laughs) I feel like I I, I went one by one. There was an artist I wanted to be on, my roommate. I wanted Uli to also be on it, but he tends to Mm -hmm. overcommit. And sometimes I doesn't always have time to deliver. So Mm -hmm. I didn't want to overwhelm him with any more stuff. Plus, he decided to stay an extra year in school for some reason. so he wasn't Mm -hmm. entering BFA with us, So. He was going to have his own thing and like, I didn't want to bother him, but mm-hmm. I was thinking like who else can get that's also like on Oli's level or that's, you know, that's a great artist. And I decided that might be better if I reached people one by one first and seeing who I bring on board and kind of use them as a like, oh, I got so-and-so on the team if you join us. So I reached out to mm-hmm. Josh Westling first. He was the first person I reached out to because I needed a strong art director, strong visual development person. He was like one of the tops in our class and mm-hmm. we've become good friends and we've become even greater friends to the project. But I reached out to him because I know he likes comics and stuff. I was just really trying to sell it, say it's going to be action. There's going to be animated panels. I was lucky enough to actually develop the core story at Tonko House during my internship because I requested if I can pitch something mm-hmm. at Tonko because that would give me extra motivation to really work on the Sony nice Center project and like really flesh out the story. Mm-hmm. And so I'm mentioning that like, you know, Tonko House is helping me develop and pitch it. Like they're helping me out with the story. So I think for that, Josh is like, okay, cool. So I know the story is going to be good because like Ray's getting advice from amazing artists at Tonko. Mm. And so Josh got on board. And after I got Josh on board, I was like, okay, cool. I need somebody that's really good with backgrounds and color. Like, who can I get? I was like, oh, Hannah Beetle. Okay, I need to get Hannah. And so I reached out to Hannah and I mentioned that Josh was on the team. And like, Hannah was like, Oh, Josh is on. OK, cool, cool. I know, like if he if he has faith in it, I have faith. <laughs> then I got Hannah. I was like, cool, my team is coming together because I was like, I can handle the story. I can also handle a big chunk of the animation side, but I need someone else. So I like, also knows comics, but also really good at animation. I was like, OK, I need to get Yuki. Yuki is the next person I need to get. And because I knew at the time Yuki was also debating on pitching her own projects. I was like, if she has her own project to pitch, that's fine but let me try to sell her on this project. And I reached out to Yuki, mentioned pretty much the essence of the project, that it was going to be animated, it's going to be comic. You know, I'm getting story advice at Tonko, but also that I got Hannah and Josh. And then Yuki was like, holy crap, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was like, you got Hannah and Josh,
0: damn.
2: (laughs) Basically, the procession of people convinced everybody
0: else. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I felt like that's that's how I did it. If I wasn't able to convince Josh, I don't know if it would have had the same nominal (laughs) effect, but... I'm glad that, honestly, everybody that worked on the project was such an immense help from like, you know, Jay Klaus to JD Leslie to a lot of the underclassmen as well. Tanta and Ferrari. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. They were like a godsend to help on the project and helped a lot with the early visual development of the project. Mm
1: -hmm. So that whole whole project was about luchadors, luchadors and Mexican culture. How does your cultural background as a Mexican-American influence your art or your identity as an artist?
0: It didn't always, if I'm being honest, discovering kind of my culture kind of happened in college. Growing up, I think we talked about this a lot on the podcast, but growing up when I would draw characters, and like I mentioned earlier, how I would, I would draw some OCs, they would always be white.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I never questioned it, it. never crossed my mind why. And it wasn't until Paul Sullivan came to our school and he yeah, he was the art director for Book of Life. He was basically showing us some of the art, the color scripts and giving a presentation. And after the presentation, we actually got to see the movie with him in the theater mm-hmm. there was a theater down the street and we went to go see book of life right after we saw the presentation and it just made me realize that like there is stories about my culture there's people like you know jorge gutierrez that is telling stories about you know mexican culture and it got me to kind of reflect on myself saying like why can't i also tell these stories about myself mm-hmm. and so since then i really started like really trying to figure out what really interests me what i really like to do and a thing that I also kind of rediscovered and fell in love with is like wrestling and stuff and like Lucha Libre and like, you know, the the mass, the aesthetics. And it was one of the biggest influences for me when, you know, creating Sol Naciente about, you know, a boy wanting to grow up to be a great luchador like his dad and really setting it in that setting. Mm-hmm. But I think my cultural background does influence me more and more. And I think the crossroads that I'm at now with that, I've achieved this, but my default now is never white. My default is always like drawing a brown character first. Mm-hmm. And whatever the story or whatever I want to draw, I've, other races kind of come in second. But I always want my default now to be a brown character, like, you know, a Mexican character. And also just the crossovers that I'm at now is that I want to create characters where, like, yes, they're heavily inspired by their culture. But I also want to create characters where, like, that isn't always at the forefront.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And the the crossovers that I'm at is that a lot of the art that I've been doing is heavily inspired by, like, you know, Mexican folklore or, like, you know, Mexican culture. But I kinda wanna start diving into that hybrid of being a Mexican American myself because growing up in America, I was more Americanized. Like I got to speak Spanish with my family. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, we celebrate our version of Christmas and stuff mm-hmm. and things like that. But one of the things that I got to celebrate for the first time this year was Dia de los Muertos. Like my my mom, where she grew up in Mexico, didn't necessarily celebrate that holiday. My dad grew mm-hmm. up in Mexico City and they did. Growing up, we didn't celebrate Dia de los Muertos and this was my first time now that I had my own house or I'm living by myself with my wife I was like hey we can do our own traditions we can celebrate the holidays we want Mm -hmm. so I set up my first ofrenda where I was you know honoring my grandpa and my my godfather and that was really special to me and I'm really happy that I got to do that Mm but I didn't get to it originally because we grew up in America and I kind of want to tell more stories or kind of you know create more artwork it's that borderline between being Mexican but also being American and kind of knowing that like some of your culture kind of gets hidden or blocked or you know Dismissed just because you're growing up in this different country you had to kind of assimilate mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: and I'm um, kind of dealing with that and reflecting on that and wanting to like you know understand that because as proud I am of my background and my heritage I'm never going to be full on Mexican because I'm not in Mexico I'm not living that every day but a part of it still carries with me and that's kind of what I want to start having it across in my art yeah not have it be so much in the forefront but still have it be a part of my identity mm-hmm. if that makes sense I don't know if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah <laughs> it does yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> It's all integrated rather than just being one or the other.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really like hard because you're like, it's not like a line it's sort of just like a mix of things. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting that like, first of all, I guess I never thought of it that your mom could have not ever celebrated Dia de los Muchos, like in parts of Mexico that they just don't do that. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's a very big country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that your dad celebrated it and then chose to not have you celebrate it like in America. Is it because he was afraid that if you guys were exposed to too much Mexican culture, you couldn't integrate like as Americans or did he just not want to do it?
0: I think there's more opportunities now, but there just wasn't always like places selling stuff like that or places to get it. So I think it was just harder to do mm-hmm. Just if you want to sell one way back when it was mainly that. I'll also say this. My mom is the one that mainly puts in a lot of the effort when it comes to the holidays. My dad just kind of sits there and like (laughs) will show up. So because my mom didn't celebrate it and like it wasn't a big part of her upbringing, she didn't want to go through the effort of setting all of it up because my dad wasn't going to do it even though he celebrated it he wasn't going to set it up himself and she didn't want to Mm -hmm. because she never celebrated so i think it was just that so yeah if my mom Mm -hmm. didn't do it my dad wasn't going to do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i guess it could have been the fact of like oh we're in america so like that's not really something that's celebrated here it's not something that's going to come up in school so like maybe they didn't think at the time it was important for us to learn or to know Mm. and plus it like overlaps with halloween so a lot of kids are probably just like I want candy. Yeah. What, 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 what are these skulls? What is, what are these pictures? Mm -hmm. So I think that could have been it too. It's just the conflict with Halloween because Dia de los Muertos is like over like, Mm -hmm. you know, several days and you're like, you know, you light a Bella, you light a candle each day building up to Dia de los Muertos.
2: Well, that's cool that you get to celebrate it now, at least a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm happy and I can't wait to celebrate again uh, next year. But yeah, I'm just happy. I got to honor some of my loved ones and, you know, remember them. And it was actually pretty sweet because like, I told my sisters I was going to be celebrating Diaz de the of this year. And they got so jealous because they always want to celebrate it. But again, my mom just, <laughs> my mom, YouTube works now. She, she's really tired. So she doesn't always have the time to do everything. Mm-hmm. But they were just really jealous that I was celebrating it. And they were like, do you have grandpa on your friend? I was like, yeah, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my dad's looking at the picture of the friend that you sent him. And I think he's tearing up. Oh, oh. no, <laughs> oh. not the sad dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, and I immediately called my dad. I was like, dad, I like, I, like, I just wanted to talk to him and like, you know see how he was doing. But I think he was really happy that I was honoring his dad on my ofrenda. That's really sweet. Yeah, I think it touched him. And he was he was also like, started showing off to my cousins in Mexico. Like, oh, look what my son did. Look what my son Aww. set up, blah, 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 blah. So that was really sweet.
1: You know, it's your 2
0: tears, 2 tears.
2: Before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything you want to plug?
0: Yeah, uh, you guys could find me On Twitter and Instagram, both at Radio Silence. So that's spelled R A Y D I O Silence.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Like Are you just just going to leave it silent? Silent. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, for those that don't know me, I'm a terrible speller and I don't want to prove that live on this podcast.
2: <laughs> he just outed
0: yourself. No, <laughs> so, whatever, whatever. It's fine. Oh, it's only the R-A-Y part that people get confused because they mm-hmm. spell radio as like R-A-D-I-O, but it's R-A-Y-D-I-O. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned before, if you guys want to read the Stonehenge comic about a young boy that wants to grow up to be a big strong luchador like his dad, but he has to find his kind of own path to being a great luchador because he can't always follow in the footsteps of our heroes, the link will be below, but also... com. please give it a read it's a lot of fun i promise
2: it's very good Uh Mm -hmm. and
0: then check out gremlins when it comes out and then be up to date on my social media when i can finally talk about this freelance project that i've been helping out on because i'm really excited about that as well but yeah that's that's pretty much what i want to plug at this time
1: yeah i always laugh at your like handle radio silence because first of (laughs) all the radio silence pun but also like your name like ray like raymundo just means like King of the world, but like Ray Dió would be like King of Gods (laughs) or like God King, and I'm like, dude, what the hell? It sounds really like narcissistic.
0: I guess it. I never realized that because yeah, it's it does spell uh, because with the S of silence, it does say Dios. Well, it's Dios. Uh, I don't think Dio is anything in Spanish. I think Dios is like God. Oh yeah, yeah. But the S is there, so you're not wrong. Yeah, no, it's not bad. I think and <laughs> I know it's not. I
1: just, to me, it's funny. <laughs> As we come to a close, do you have any final advice for those that want to pursue a career in the animation industry?
0: Be receptive to feedback. Can't tell you how helpful that is, being open and receptive. Don't take anything to heart. This is a tough industry. This is a collaborative industry. Anytime you get feedback, it's always meant to make something better. It's not because you suck or because you're bad, but because they want to make it as good as can be because they want the project as a whole to be as good as can be. And uh, that's something that I got commented on from my supervising director, complimenting me saying that I was, one of the things that he likes about me is that I'm receptive feedback and that I don't take anything to heart because it's not my job to put myself in the project or to make it about me. It's my job to make sure his vision or the vision above him to come true of what the show they want to be and create mm-hmm. and it's also going to be you just in school because i know sometimes in school you might be super sensitive to like what you create because you're putting yourself on a plate and just getting criticism or feedback may hurt but just remember to separate yourself from it be receptive be open because i can't tell you how it could harm you if people just view you as constantly always having a defense for your work or just being really negative or not being receptive to feedback just really really looks bad it just shows that you don't know how to take notes and that you don't want to progress. Mm -hmm. So just be receptive to feedback. It can take you a long way. And another thing that I feel like is that uh, don't compare yourself to others. Look at the industry professionals, understand what the industry standard is and have that to be a goal to achieve to to get your work to that level. But don't directly compare yourself to these industry professionals just because they have so many years above you. And no matter what, they're always going to have that many years above you. You're only going to get better than yourself. That's really the only person you should be competing with yourself as long as you're better than the artist you were the day prior you're improving you're progressing and that's great so don't worry if you never get to so-and-so artist specific skill level because again they're constantly learning and gaining on you Mm -hmm. you eventually will reach that level at your own pace and you will reach your own standard of like what the industry standard is but yeah just be sure that you're better than who you were yesterday and that's all you really need to focus on in my opinion
2: Hmm. That's some really good advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed our interview with Ray, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful to increase our visibility. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Straight Ahead AP. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to Edgar Arellano for editing this episode. And finally, a big
1: thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier and before we wrap once again we will be having our live 50th episode on twitch on sunday january 23rd we'll be talking about the podcast and taking questions from the audience so please follow us on twitch and get ready for that one because it's gonna be really good um yeah (laughs) (laughs) those are fun yeah thanks again for listening and thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead until next week Have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye.
3: Bye.